This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you here today. Glad you made it out. You made a good choice to be here. If you're a guest, we welcome you. If you're watching by live stream, we welcome you too. If you need a Bible, get your hand up. Our ushers would gladly get you the Word of God. Once you go to the Word of God, you're going to go way, way back into the New Testament to 1 John chapter 2. If you've gone to Revelations, you've gone just a little bit too far. 1 John chapter 2 is where we begin this morning. We're still in our series of Wake Up. And so to give you a little bit of time to get there, I'm going to ask you a question. Who or what causes your life to have significance? Who, who or what causes your life to have security? Who or what causes your life to have value? And so to help you respond to those questions, you got to fill in this blank. And this blank is, what would cause me to feel value? Fill in that blank. What would cause you to feel valued? What would cause you to feel significant? What would cause you to feel security? And so those lists can be endless, but it's something every one of us has to answer. And so we're going to jump in here again today. And, you know, the only thing that can bring true satisfaction, value, and security is the Lord. So we begin here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Let, let the Bible speak to you today, okay? Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. Now, you see a couple things, don't love the world, the things in the world, and so we got to define what the world is, and the world is actually this, this place, this evil that's operating under the influence of the devil. So when you talk about the world, just think there in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, the God of this age, which is the devil, is blind to their eyes to the truth. Another great reference on that is 1 Peter 5, 8, that says, your adversary, your opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. So it's interesting that he starts off and says, don't love the world. Don't love the opinions of the world. Keep reading. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so when I love the Father, I mean the world instead of the Father, he's telling me I'm, I'm going to lose my intimate fellowship that's reserved for God. And I replace it with, with my affections and it governs my choices and those choices exclude God. They're incompatible right here is what you see, the God and world. Can't have them both. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, now watch this real close, okay? For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now he lists three things. And he says the very first one is the lust. The lust of my flesh. So what's the definition of lust? Lust is a, a desire or a craving or an appetite of the things of this world that have to do with my flesh. And so, not, not for anybody to say it out loud, but has anybody in here been dominated by the lust of our flesh? Every one of us, probably. Every one of us. And it could look different. 
the lust of my flesh. And so we're singing there a minute ago, and we're talking about the name of Jesus to break every stronghold. And I think that right now, that if you've got a stronghold in your life with something that your flesh dominates you, start speaking the name of Jesus to it. And you say, well, what's a stronghold? It's a stronghold. A stronghold is like something in life has got you in a headlock and it just won't release. The name of Jesus, it will. The second one he said is the lust of our eyes. The lust, the cravings, desire that my, that my eyes see. And that could be a lot of different things. You know, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said that if you look upon a woman in a lustful way, you've already uh, committed adultery in your heart just by looking. I know this is going to hurt, but any of you ever been guilty of that? The rest of you liars, we'll get you later, okay? <laughs> the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and then the third one he mentions is the pride of life. My, my status, my importance, my titles. And so when you look at everything he's talking about, he listed three things here that are the makeup of the things of the world that try to steal your heart from God. Lest the eyes, lest the flesh, the pride of life. He ends in verse 16 and says, these are not of the Father, but they are of the world. Not of God. It's not the author of this. And if we kept reading in verse 17, he says, and oh, by the way, the things of this world are passing away. In other words, you're not going to take them with you. Now, turn back to your left, just a couple books to the book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4. And so you're going to see the Word of God today. I believe it'll locate us. Some areas in our life that we need God's grace and mercy upon. James 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Where, where are these wars and these fights that come from among you? And so he, he's talking about there's something on the inside of us that wars and fights day after day after day. And, and they're fighting for your allegiance and my allegiance. And he goes on to say, do they not come from your desires for pleasure? The desires for pleasure, the appetites of pleasure. And he goes on to say, that war in your members. Again, the source of this conflict that it emerges on the inside. It's this inward battle day by day by day. Verse 2. You lust. And there's that stinking word lust again. You lust. You crave. You desire. One translation says you burn with envy. And you still do not have. So what do you do next? You murder and you covenant and you covet but you can't contain and so what he says there is I scheme and I plot and I do everything I can in my own abilities to obtain these things. But if you'll notice it, you still can't uh, obtain it. You're still not going to get it. The end of verse 2. 
You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And so when I read this here, I don't have because I don't ask. Part of the problem is I never go to Father God and ask. And so if I'm not one asking God, if I don't humble myself and go to God and ask him, you know what that means? You've taken matters into your own hands. And when we do that, remember this. You don't spell your name, capital G-O-D. You don't even spell your name, little Holy Spirit. So we don't have because we don't ask. Verse 3. You ask, but you don't receive. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, we don't have because we, we don't ask. And now he says, you ask, but you still don't receive. And when you stop right there, you're almost like, was James confused when he wrote this? No, he's not confused. Watch what he's talking about here. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures or you may spend it on your own corrupt motives. It's all about me. It's all about me. I only ask for me. So let me ask you something that will help you here, I believe. If you would ask yourself this question, when I ask God for something, will it advance his kingdom or will it bless somebody else? If not, is it aimed at the God of me? Me, 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 me. Bless me, Father God. Bless me, my wife, my kids, us four no more. Me, me, me. Bless me, Father God. I've been praying for two years to win the lottery. But Father God, I promise you I'll tithe off of it. Not. See, this is what he's talking about. When we do ask, it's asking for me. Now, God's not against us asking him for things. But do I ask with the wrong motive? Now, I'm just warning you. You may put your seatbelt on right now for verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Why? Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, this is how James addresses in verse 4. So when you think about the word adulterers or adulteresses, this means that at one time you had to be in a covenant relationship. And when he's talking about this, you have to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord or you couldn't be a spiritual adulterer or adulteresses. So when I read those words, you know what those words say? Cheater, betrayal. But what he's talking about is I cheated on God. I had an affair on God. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And so when he says this, friendship with the world, and some people say, well, I, I didn't have a relationship with the world. I was just flirting with the world. But every time we flirt, we give, we give a part of our heart to someone else. And so when you look at this, 
I can do those things. But if you'll note what the scripture said, you make yourself an enemy with God. Now I want you to highlight something in here. It didn't say God makes himself an enemy with us. We make ourselves an enemy with God because we choose to align our lives with the things of the world. So he ends this verse, and it's like he repeats himself, and he says that intimacy, uh, adultery with the world, a friendship with the world is intimacy with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Can, can you guys please, please get him out, okay? Thank you. I don't mean to do that to you, but. And so when we do those things, we cause problems. Now you can do this, but if you'll know what the word of God says, and so God takes notice of this. He takes notice of who's, who's doing these things, and we may think, well, it's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal to God. It's a huge deal to him. And so God's not asking for a piece of our heart. He's asking for our heart. Every bit of it. He doesn't want just a slice of your heart. He wants all your heart. And I think that falls back into what we talked about last week. That in, in Exodus 20, it says that God is a jealous God. He wants all your heart. Now, turn with me way back to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we get here. This is going to talk about a lot of the things we just discussed right here. That we'll see some things with the scripture that I believe that will locate you today to help you. But you got to understand this with Father God. And when I say he locates us, God's mercy and grace always brings us back to a place in our life. When I do miss it, I repent of it. I get my heart right. 1 Samuel 15 verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, and to help you with just a little bit, Samuel's the prophet. Saul is the king that, that the people wanted. And so it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. He sent me to anoint you. Now, the best definition I can give of the word anoint that means it's the touch of God upon your life to fulfill the call that he's put on you. And so God still anoints people for his kingdom cause to advance his cause here on earth. One thing I want to highlight about the word anointing, the word anointing does not cause you to obey. It won't make you obey. Obedience is a choice within me, but God still anoints people to fulfill his call right here on earth. He uses the Holy Spirit to illuminate us. So he says here, to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now he's saying, you're the king, but they're my people, and over Israel, my nation. Now think about the thousands of years ago this was stated. God calls his people, they were the Jews, and God calls the people that were the Jews his nation. Can I tell you something? Things had not changed. Nothing's changed. So he said, now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord 
And when he says heed right here, he's saying, you're going to have to obey me. And when God tells him heed, he's saying, do not substitute your judgment for my commands. Don't override my commands. Heed. Listen and obey. Verse number two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came out of Egypt. So when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, they went through this area where the Amalekites were, and the Amalekites dogged them. They were bad to them. If you want to study this in detail, it's Exodus chapter 17. And so God says, I will ultimately blot out the Amalekites. So he's never forgotten. Let me give you a little history about these guys called the Amalekites or Amalek. Amalek was the grandson of a guy named Esau. If you remember parts of the Bible, Esau and Jacob. One of the best definitions I can give you of this guy named Esau, he was full of rebellion. Then, this guy named Amalek, he marries a daughter of a guy named Ishmael. If you ever study Ishmael, Ishmael was the definition of rebellion. So you see Esau, Ishmael, they are all in part of Amalek's life, and you begin to see this dude's got some issues. This is why this is saying that. Verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Why did God say that? Because they were the essence of evil. They hated God's people and they hated Israel and it was defiance to God. These guys were a bunch of idol worshipers who they were. So when you read verse 3, I think we would all agree that God's commands to, amount, uh, to, to Saul, they were clear. Kill them all. Every one of them. Ever wipe them out. So if God looked at Saul and said, is it clear? He would say, Crystal, I got it. Same chapter, verse 7. And Saul attacked the Malachites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And so when you read verse 7, you're like, way to go, Saul, way to go. You're obedient. Verse 8. He also took Agag, king of the Malachites, alive, and he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Hmm. He took Agag alive. Verse 8 or 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and they spared the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. So it's kind of like Saul begins to take action into his own hands. And he starts saying, you know what? Let, let's cut off a little bit of the, the commandments God gave me. Let, 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 let's shave off some of those. You know, when we see the best of the oxen, the best of the cattle, the best of all that, you know what I believe they begin to see? The almighty dollar. The God agreed. 
They're like, why would we waste the best we got? Let's just take that and let's make a little money on the side and, and God will be good with it. And you look and they kept King Agag alive and part of that was they wanted to pray to him everywhere and to show him, look at us, look at us, look what we've done. Now the problem with all those animals, if those animals would be offered to idols on the altars, what was wrong with that? And so when you read verse number nine, what took place right here, if we looked at it in percentage, would we say, well, oh, Saul obeyed 70% of the command, 80% of the command, maybe even 90%. God, God all, uh, uh, should be happy that that's what he got out of it. God ought to applaud and say, way to go. You did 80% right. But things start changing, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king. I want you to notice the words. He didn't say I regret. He said, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king. Now watch this. For he has turned his back from following me and he has not performed my commandments. He refused to obey God's commandments. If you were here a week ago, we were in Romans 1. And remember Romans 1, verse 18. It says that we can suppress the truth. We can hold down the truth. We can smother the truth in our lives. And so I believe this is what, this is what Saul does. He takes matter to his own hands and says, you know what, God will be good with every bit of it. But I want you to think about these words right here. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Selective obedience is still disobedience. Now to help you understand that just a little bit, you parents that still got children at home, if you ask them to make their bed and then you went in there after they went to school and saw they had about half their bed made. Would you applaud that? Would you say, well, at least they got half of it, right? No, I wouldn't probably be real thrilled about it. So even in the natural, when you tell them to make a bed, you know what you're doing? Make the bed. That means every bit of it. But for some reason right here, Saul doesn't think it's a big deal to obey God fully. And so he cuts some corners. Now in saying that, is there areas of your life that you've suppressed the truth? Have I suppressed the truth? Is there areas of my life that think, you know, Father God, your word's good, but it's outdated. The word of God's not outdated. Keep reading with me. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning, to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Mount Carmel. Indeed, he has set up a monument for himself, and he's gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Now, it looks like he's, he's sacrificing to God, but he, he's not sacrificing to God. He's sacrificing to the God of himself, the God of ego, the God of self-promotion, the God of self-gratification, because I think every one of us would realize or agree, he's got issues, 
When you got to build a monument of a statue of yourself, you got some issues. You know what that's saying? Lift me higher. Look at me. Look at me. It would be like right out here on the front lawn if there was a statue that I put up of myself. I mean, you all would think, that's crazy. That dude is crazy. But this is what he's doing. He makes a statue of himself. So he's, he's saying, look at the God of me. Look how important I am. Look how special I am. So was he doing that for the applause of God or for the applause of people? It sure wasn't God. Verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to Samuel the prophet, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And, and when I read that, it's almost like, what gall to stand there and say, the testimony of obedience. I've obeyed. So when he says this, watch Samuel's response. But Samuel said, What then is this the bleeding of sheep in my ears? And the lowing of oxen, which I hear. In other words, Samuel says, well, genius, why am I hearing this move? And why am I hearing this bad if you've obeyed the Lord? And so to agree right here, he pins him. But he's smarter than God. Verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Now, when you read this right here, this is true to form for humanity. When he gets called out about his disobedience, what's the first thing he does? He blames the people. His excuses, it's the people. It's kind of the same word that Adam did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. When God caught him and called him on the carpet, remember what Adam said? It's that woman that you gave me. And so what he does, not only does he, he make excuses, then we begin to rationalize or justify our actions. Anybody ever done that in here? I wouldn't have lied if it wasn't for... See, you begin to see the seriousness of this. And so what happens here, I believe, is Saul thinks, you know, Lord, you need to chill. I just slightly modified your commandments. Just a little bit. I blotted out commandment three. I like one, three, five, seven, but I hate two, four, six, eight. I'm going to modify them just a little bit, but it's interesting to me that in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse two, it says, don't take away from the word or don't add to it. You know why the Bible says that? Because it doesn't need our help. Psalm 119 verse 89 says that forever my word is settled for in heaven. So whether we like it or not, you can't change the truth. You can't shave off the Bible. You can't. And, and so what happens in our society, we, we think we're so smart. Remember uh, Romans 1.22, it says, professing to be wise. We're so much more wiser than God now. Remember that, that, you know what, we've advanced as a society. 
That, that, that the Bible is outdated. How many of you have ever heard that or heard that recently? The Bible's outdated. Way behind the times. Hmm. It's kind of like when people do that or we do that. It's like we're telling God, you don't know what you're talking about. But just like Saul, when you try to alter the word of God, when you try to amend the word of God, when you try to compromise or dilute the truth, you're going to get God's attention. Don't care who you are. You're going to get God's attention. And I may, you may want to write this statement down right here. What your lips proclaim, your life must support. What your lips proclaim, your life must support. You know what that means? You're going to have to put a little walkie-walkie with your talkie-talkie. See, I say one thing out of my mouth, but I live the other way. So if we kept going through here and kept reading, Samuel said to Saul, why did you do evil in the sight of the Lord? I want you to think about that statement right there. Why did you do evil in the sight of the Lord? So to answer that question, when Samuel said, why did you do evil in the sight of the Lord? What was the evil? He broke God's commands. He, he didn't obey, he didn't heed what God told him to do. So for every one of us in here, I don't care how old you are, when you know the scriptures, you know the truth, you know what God's word says to you, and you choose to disobey it, you have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And in, in that situation, have I become a spiritual adulterer? I've flirted with the world again. Verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? And here's the question Samuel says to him. Is the Lord more into your offering and your sacrifices? Or is the Lord into just flat out obeying him? Now you ask him that question, and he's looking at old Saul just like the Lord's looking at us, and he says, what is it? Is it more important your sacrifices or your offering, or is it more important to obey God? And then he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifices. To submit to God's agenda over your own personal agenda. Your sacrifice and your offerings cannot excuse disobedience. That's what he's telling us. And then he ends in verse 22 and says, and to heed is the fat of the rams. So I look at the word the choice offering and the fat of the rams, that statement right there, choice offerings and fat of the rams, you know what it has the meaning of? My intellect. That I put my intelligence above Father's gods. That's what he's saying to him. So you're smarter than God. So when you look at this, this guy named Saul, he literally failed obedience 101. Failed. He got an F. See, I know there's a lot of you in here who are smart. But you're not smarter than God. I know that's going to really hurt some of you. 
some of you said that I've always viewed my wife as smarter than God. She's not, and you're not. I must obey the word of God. Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. The word rebellion means defiant. It means opposition to authority. Any of you ever been in rebellion? But he says rebellion is as the sin as witchcraft. And so we understand that within the nation of Israel, witchcraft was viewed as one of the most ungodly things you could involve yourself in. In other words, they knew witchcraft is a no-no. Whatever form of witchcraft, stay away from it. You know the fruit of witchcraft is insanity, oppression, and sometimes even forms of depression. So when we give ourselves over to witchcraft, we've opened ourselves up to something we should have never. Don't play with some of that stuff, okay? Witchcraft is the sin of rebellion and stubbornness. Any of you ever been accused of being stubborn? Thank you, Eddie, for that hand. Listen to what the word stubborn means. Unyielding. Stubborn means self-will. Self-exalting. The word stubborn has the meaning to push back. So the word stubborn means I push back from the truth. In other words, I stiff arm the things that God has asked me to do. I don't want to obey. And it's interesting, he says, stubbornness is his iniquity and idolatry. The exact meaning or statement of this of the translation is stubbornness is idolatry. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping an idol. So the nation of Israel, they knew two things. That witchcraft or idolatry was deserving of death. And that's what he says to him. Witchcraft and idolatry. I, I have a Jewish commentary, and I got really written on this because it interested me. And it talked about King Saul here, and it used the word verbose or verbosity. Now, if I'm, not, if I'm not pronouncing that totally right, bless me, okay? But I begin to study in there, and it says, you use more words than are necessary. You're overloaded with words. So you know what it literally said? You talk too much. You talk too much, Saul. The more you talk, the deeper you get. Don't nudge your spouse, okay? You talk too much. And he ends this and says, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Because Saul tried to rationalize his behavior. And so because he tried to do that, it was like the Lord was telling him, you're rationalizing your behavior as as empty as that of idolatry. It's like an idol. 
while I'm reading these things. You know what I realize that every one of us in here, we can obey a command, but I don't have a, del a delight in obeying the command. I obey it, but I don't have a delight in obeying it. So growing up, one of my daily jobs was to take out the trash. It's an important thing in the house. It's an important title. I'm the trash man. I knew that was my job. So every day, I'd go out our back door, go through the gate, go to the dumpster and sling that trash in. I would obey. I did it. You know why I did it? Because I had a daddy who believed in whacking you pretty good. But here's the issue. I obeyed by the act of obedience. Obedience is in my action, but honor is in my attitude. And so I would take the trash out day by day, but all the way to the dumpster, I whined and I moaned and I complained. I did it, but I didn't do it with the right heart. I didn't do it with the right attitude. So can you imagine when God's watching our actions and our behaviors and we say, I'm obeying. But it ticks me off to have to obey it. I don't want to obey him in that way. See, what would happen if we would delight in obeying God? I delight in obeying you, Father God. And when God gives us his commandments, it's not to punish you. It's not to beat you. It's to bless us. How many of you have figured out the more I honor and obey God and his commandments, the more blessed my life is. And he said in John 14 or John 16, he said, if you, if you love me, obey me. John 14, 15. If you love me, obey me. See, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet here today. See, I can tell you today, I've, I've rationalized my excuses, I've justified my excuses. And you know, over and over, God, God used Samuel to try to get Saul to a place to repent. Do you know why he'd never repent? And I believe that's where God's at today. He, he wants our hearts, not just a sliver. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. You know, the, the starting point for every one of us, every one of us in here that are born again, this was the starting point. That I had to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And if you'll remember, the Lord Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And so the Lord was saying, I, I want you to make a public declaration. And the Lord Jesus said in, in John 3 to a guy named Nicodemus, he said, you got to be born again. You got to be born again. And so if you're here today, and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, or if you're here today and you say, 
Man, I, I need to make a fresh commitment to him. I, I, I need to come back to the house of God. I need to come back to the family of God. If that's you right here, right now, I, I'm going to ask you to do something big. Get out of your seat and make your way down here because guess what? We're going to give you the opportunity to acknowledge him before me and to say, I'm in. I'm in. Now, you got to understand, everybody who's been born again, this is how this starts. And so I ask every head to be bowed and every eye closed right now. If that's you, don't leave here without making Jesus Lord of your life. If that's you, come on. Thank you. Thank you for obeying. That's God. God's tugging at your heart. You know, I, I want you to look up here. I mean, we're all messes, okay? We're all broken people, every one of us. Pastor, are you broken? I'm broken pieces. I, I am a messed up dude without Jesus. So there's, there's many of you down here right now that you probably don't know this. You are on our hit list in our prayer time. You got a hit list, Pat? We got a hit list. We're going to pick you off to get you born again. That's how much God loves you. That's how much we love you. So just... Here, I'm, I'm going to quote two scriptures to you real quick. Ephesians 2.8 says, You've been saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. So if it's a gift, how do you, how do you receive it? You just take it, okay? And that's what it is. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just a gift. But he said in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, he said that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you would be born again. So it's going to take you confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. So I want every one of you down here, you're going to have to participate. Come on, guys, let's raise our hands here to heaven. Say this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you as a sinner. I'm broken. I need your help. I need your touch. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. On October 22nd of 2023, Lord Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. And I thank you. My name is registered in heaven. Come on, guys, let's clap to the Lord. this is going to happen. You say, how do you have an idea of that? I had some inside information. Sometimes the Lord will impress. He's going to save today. And I believe this is what's happened. I don't believe God's done. So again, just every one of you, just stand here, just in honor. You feel comfortable. Raise your hands and just bow your, bow your head. Are you here today? lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, the pride of light is dominating you right now. You can say, that's me. And you know what it is. I know what, what the things are in my life. 
But in God's eyes, are you a spiritual adulterer, adulteress? And if you are, he's still saying, and I want all your heart. And just maybe today, you've cut some corners. Just maybe today, you've disobeyed the commandments of God. And it's like God's, God's pulling us right now saying, come on back. Come on back to me. Come on back to me. Let, let me put my touch on you. Let me breathe upon you again today. And so as our team gets ready to sing, if that's you, I welcome you to come down here and say, that's me, Father God. Go to work in me right now. Go ahead, guys. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.